We've spent quite a bit of time looking at the heavenly realms and how real they are and how God has a heavenly council that is made up of his Elohim and that those Elohim are called sons of God and by implication daughters of God as well and that he relies on his heavenly counsel not only to advise him but also to carry out his will and that the heavenly counsel is heavenly uh, heavily involved in the activities of human beings in that they carry out God's will and we'll see this even more as we proceed with this study on the heavenly realms but we want to take some time now to look at what the New Testament has to say and it has great expectations in how we are to relate to the heavenly realms. Now, the Greek word um, that we translate heavenly realms can also be translated heavenly places, and, and some translations use that phrase, which is just as, as uh, descriptive of what is talking, uh, being meant here, which is really the supernatural realm. Now, the Apostle Paul uses this term, the heavenly realms or the heavenly places, as really, I think, the main theme of the book of Ephesians. A close look at what the Holy Spirit teaches us through him will show us comprehensively the truths about this region that the Lord wants us to know and to live by. Now, these are the five themes that we're going to now start going over as we take a look at the, uh, the theology of the heavenly realms. The first one is the place of blessing, and that is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. The place of blessing, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. The next thing is the throne of Jesus, Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. The throne of Jesus, Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. Um, the third one is enthroned with him, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Enthroned with him, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. The fourth theme is the eternal plan, and that is in Ephesians 3, 8 through 13. Uh, the eternal plan, Ephesians uh, 3, 8 through 13. And then finally, uh, there is the uh, great battle, the great battle, Ephesians 6, 10 and following. So these are the five themes that are really important uh, in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at them very carefully because... You know, theology, unless you put it into practice, becomes just a possibility. And so in all of what we've been looking at in the heavenly realms, it makes a difference in our heavenly lives. First of all, the realization that heaven is involved heavily in what goes on uh, on earth. And, and heaven is involved in our lives and wants us to be involved with them. And that's really important to keep in mind. So these five themes, the place of blessing, the throne of Jesus, enthroned with him, the eternal plan, and the great battle, um, all of those are just so significant. 
and we want to look at each one. And each of these will help us know um, there are great blessings we have as we make our place in the heavenly realms real in our lives. And it will strengthen our ability to understand, engage, and overcome the battle that we find ourselves in the midst of and I think is only going to get uh, more uh, intense, uh, perhaps very subtle uh, and very deceptively so, but more intense. And so, uh, in addition, we're going to find that each of these uh, are a place for us to go to train ourselves for worship. Uh, and, And that's really what as we saw previously, that really all of Scripture can be looked at as a battle over worship. And if this is indeed true, then we need to look at worship as being something that is significant for us to uh, have as a lifestyle so that we can be overcomers. And when I talk about worship, I'm not primarily talking about singing. Singing certainly is an important part of how we express worship. But it is certainly not the only way to express worship. And it can be a difficult whole area, as any worship leader knows, in that oftentimes what people can do, what we can do, is that we worship singing rather than the Lord. And so it's, it's, it's a terrible pitfall. And I think one of the ways to overcome that is to make sure that you acquire, to make sure that you mold your heart so that your heart is a worshipful heart. So at the center of your heart, there is a sense of of devotion, a sense of exaltation, uh, a sense of, of blessing the Lord, a sense on recognizing His majesty, His power, Uh, a sense on learning that you certainly are dependent upon him for your very life and how you express that to him is 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 your worship Uh, and you can express it through singing uh, and in your devotional but mostly it's how you talk to him and that's really significant to keep in mind so we're going to start out in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and we're going to be going through 19, uh, the place of blessing. But we're going to take our time with this, and let me just read, I'm not going to read all the verses, we're just going to look at verse 3. And Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that's really beautiful, isn't it? And in this scripture, we see that the heavenly places are a place where we receive every spiritual blessing. Now think of that just for a moment. Wow, I can receive every spiritual blessing but it's in a place. It's in the heavenly places or the heavenly realms. So it's really important that I understand what it means to be in that realm and to experience uh, the blessings of God. And if you'll notice here, the, the, the root of the word blessing um, appears three times. Blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So you can see it's rich 
with the idea of the blessing of God and that the relationship starts out with God is that it's interesting. We are called to an act of worship before we understand uh, what it is to receive a blessing. Uh, there, is, there is the call to worship, which is this, blessed be God. There is the act of God who has blessed us, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, and then there is the place of blessing, the heavenly realms. But the most important thing is, listen, this is the heart of worship. The heart of worship is that I really want to bless God. And the idea of the word bless, and in the Old Testament, it is the word barak. And I think oftentimes it's translated praise, uh, and I don't think that's a really good way to translate it. It, it, it. it doesn't really get to the idea of it, because the word barak means to kneel down and express good things toward God. That really is the idea of it. It, and it has to do with speaking well toward God. And it's really important. And yes, that is, fr- is, is the idea of praise, but I like the word. And, and, and good translations will not translate it uh, praise. They will translate it uh, bless. And I think that's important because it, it, it makes you think about, ah, oh, what does that really mean? And uh, now... If you'll notice here in this passage, let me read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, there are two phrases of location here that right away we want to call our intention to. A phrase of location is, is, tells us where something is. And they are in Christ and in the heavenly realms. Those are the two phrases of location. So it tells us, listen, in order to receive this blessing, these blessings, I have, it has to do with my relationship with a person and the place where that person is or the place that that person has provided for me, and that's really important to keep in mind here. Now, I want to look at this idea of being in Christ, because the idea of being in a Christ, in Christ, is one of the the major themes of the whole, uh, really, uh, of all of the epistles, really, especially Paul's epistles, that idea of being in Christ. And the first thing, there are three foundational truths that we really have to keep in mind in order for us to you know, walk in a way that, that really our, our faith is a reality. And again, these are not experiential. They are what we believe. And what I mean by that is there has to be an unswerving loyalty and belief in these three foundational truths. No matter how we feel at any given time, no matter what happens to us, those circumstantial things uh, cannot be the evidence that outweighs the reality of what God says about us. And that's what the enemy always tries to do. That the reality of the world, the reality of our own sinful nature, 
or the reality of, of the enemy in how he uses his propaganda against us and how he attacks us personally. Uh, he wants us to not believe the foundational truths. And so the first foundational truth is this. You were included in Christ when you were saved. Okay, that's the first foundational truth. You were included in Christ when you were saved. Now let me read Romans 6, 3, and 4. There are lots of scriptures, and all of Romans 6 talks about this, and other scriptures, but let me just read this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, this is the first basic truth that we all have to believe, and that is that when you were saved, when you prayed the prayer and, and whatever you did to acknowledge uh, that your sins needed to be paid for and that they were paid for on the cross and that the blood of Jesus Christ uh, covered your sins and the cross broke the work of the enemy in your life and if you submitted to the Father's gift to you uh, of the cross and of the death and life of his son, then you were saved. And the moment that you accepted that personally, what God did is he placed you in Christ Jesus. He baptized you, you know, into Christ Jesus. That's why water baptism is such a beautiful symbol. Because when you go down into the water, there's a death. And it reminds you that you actually died with Christ. When you come up out of the water, it is life. It is resurrection. You have been resurrected to newness of life. So that's the first truth. And no matter what happens to you, whether you fail, um, whether you um, are going through depression or oppression, it doesn't change the fact that you were included with Christ and that what is true about him is true about you. And so you want to take some time after you listen to this to just take a walk and say, Lord, God, Heavenly Father, thank you that I have been included with Christ. And if you have not been baptized, it would be great to go to your pastor or, or to someone else uh, who is uh, ministering to you and say, listen, I, I want that symbol uh, to express the reality of my life and to mark before all the heavenly realms who I am. And it, and it would be a good idea to, to be baptized. And you may have been baptized as an infant, but really it's not that it doesn't count because there was a covenant with your parents that God honors, but the idea uh, is, is that as an adult, it's a choice you make. And it really shows the principalities and the powers uh, that you are taking a stand with God in believing who you are and what he has done for you. Now, the second great truth, the first truth was you were included in the Lord Jesus Christ when you were saved. The second great, great truth is 
You must abide in him to make this a reality. You must abide in him to make this a reality. Now, of course, listen to John 15, and I would refer you to the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read three verses, John 15, four through six. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Very graphic uh, uh, and, and, and very straightforward. And Jesus is saying, listen, You've got to abide in me. You've got to dwell in me. You have to order your reality in your relationship with me. And that's really the idea of abiding. It means you are constantly aware and constantly nurturing your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You do that by prayer, by devotion, by worship, uh, and and by obedience, all of those things. But more uh, than anything, it's a hard attitude, isn't it? It's when you uh, each day say, Lord, here I am. I want to meet with you. I want to know you. I want to talk to you. I want to hear from you. And I want you uh, to be the one who who leads me and guides me. And Jesus says this, listen, If you do this, if you do this, if you abide in me, you're going to bear great, great fruit. And that's really significant. And the other, the the corollary to that that goes right along with it is not abiding in him. Listen, if you don't do that, you're going to be worthless and you're going to be like branches that have no use and are thrown into the fire. And he's not talking about hell here. He's just doing an analogy. If I don't abide in Christ, who is the true vine, as a branch, then there's going to be no sustenance to my life. And if there's no sustenance to my life, uh, vitality to it, and I'm all dried up like a branch, what else would I be good for except being burnt up? And so that is the beauty of abiding in Christ, is that he promises that if we abide in him, uh, we will bear fruit, and that's really significant. So that's the second foundational truth. The first one is you were included in Christ when you were saved. The second one is you must abide in Christ to make this a reality. And the third one is this, that the Holy Spirit will teach you how to do this the Holy Spirit will teach you how to do this. Now listen to 1 John 2, uh, 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is a beautiful truth that John teaches. It's about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And John, in the beginning of this letter, in, in 1 John chapter 2, in some preceding verses in 
verse 25 says, listen, all of you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you don't need me to teach you about that. And he means the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you've been anointed. It has, listen, this is what the anointing teaches you how to do, how to abide, abide in Jesus. You see, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit came, he would guide us into all truth. So the two truths, foundational truths that we, we've looked at here, that you were included in Christ when you were saved, and the second one, you must in, abide in him uh, to make this a reality, the Holy Spirit is the one who guides you into those truths and teaches you how to abide in Christ. That's why it is, the Bible is an instruction book, so to speak, but it's the Holy Spirit who instructs us in the Word and shows us how to make it real. And so there has to be that wonderful combination of the Word and the Spirit. And our hearts approach the Word with, with great, a great sense of reverence, a great sense of worship, a great sense of expectation, a great sense of seeking. And, and then the Holy Spirit takes that and He um, begins to speak to us and to make it real. So those are the three truths uh, that, that Paul says, listen, in Ephesians. Um, I want you to bless the Lord because he has blessed you with every spiritual blessings and those blessings are in the heavenly realms and and all of this has to do with being in Christ and so the 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 whole uh, kind of result of all this I guess would say is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. Uh, behold, the new has come. And that is both death and resurrection, isn't it? And the new has come. There's lots of new things that come. But we're going to see in this, this first uh, uh, chapter of Ephesians that there are six blessings, six specific blessings uh, that God says that he gives us in Christ in the heavenly realms. And so it's really important to, uh, to see those and to understand those. And so the next thing I want to do is to just spend some time looking at uh, what it means to bless the Lord and how important that is and how significant that is. And that is really the starting place of this. And because it's the starting place, we want to spend some time with it. Because I think ultimately, uh, unless we develop hearts that are really worshipful and, and we use this as a great weapon, um, we're going to find that it's going to be difficult, uh, difficult to, to walk in any significant way. Uh, now, 
when Paul used the word bless here, he is writing from a rich Hebrew expression that permeates the Old Testament's approach to worship. And I, we've already, I've already shared with you, the idea is that the, of the word barak. And it is so significant. And it means there's a decision of your will in which you kneel down and you express to God uh, good words about who he is. That's really the idea of it. And, and I think it's really important. And listen to Psalm uh, 18:46. And, and we're going to look at two things. Today we're going to start looking at uh, blessing the Lord for who he is. And it's one of the things that you might want to do is to write these verses down, make a cross-reference system in your Bible, and in that cross-reference system, uh, you can go from verse to verse and spend some time blessing the Lord for who He is. Psalm 18:46. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. And there are three things here that are really significant to bless the Lord for. First of all, He lives. And that, that you want to express to God, God, thank you. You are alive. You're a God who is living. You're, you're not just an idea, a theology, a religion. God, you are alive. You live. The second reason why to speak good things about God and kneel down and speak good things is that he is your rock. Now, that theme, we could spend lots of time uh, going on, on that theme. How about God is the rock? Uh, and of course, there's that hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And that really is the idea. And then the third is, and exalted be the God of my salvation, is that you speak good things to him, say, God, you're the God of my salvation. My salvation isn't on something that is going to fade away or is undependable. You are my salvation. Wow, isn't that beautiful? The second verse is Psalm 72, 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Wow. I love that. Why do you speak good things about God? Well, you want to speak good things about his name. You want to bless his name. You want to kneel down and say, God, your name is, 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 is glorious. And you know his name, Yahweh, means I am with you to get it done, which is centered in on who Jesus is. That's why Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And the, the root there is Yahweh, as you know. And, and so that's it. Spend some time blessing the Lord, kneeling down and expressing to him uh, how, how you appreciate that his name really represents who he is and that he's with you to get it done, whatever the, the, the it is in your life right now, he's with you. And, and wow, that's a wonderful uh, way to worship, isn't it? Now, the, the third verse I want to look at is this. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. 
obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It, I mean, that's just beautiful. And what I want you to see here, it, it, it reminds us of Revelation 4 and 5, uh, doesn't it? And the psalmist here is saying, listen, you've established your throne in heaven. And so he's, he's looking into the heavenly realms and he sees the throne that John uh, talks about in Revelation 4 and 5. And he says, listen, um, uh, your, your throne's established. And then he says, listen, and because your throne is established, you rule over all. You rule over all things. And, and no matter what's happening on earth and how there's so much conflict and, and how uh, there's so much chaos, you still reign and you have a plan. And then uh, the psalmist engages with heavenly worship. And he, and he says this, and it's really beautiful. He's, he's speaking to the angels. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. And, he, and he, he reminds us they are the mighty ones who do his word, who obey the voice of his word. Isn't that amazing? That's who they are. And then he talks to all his hosts because angels are simply a title of a spiritual being. There are lots of spiritual beings. As we've seen, there's the, there's the elders of his council. There's the cherubim. There's the seraphim. Uh, you know, so, so there, there's a vast array of spiritual beings in heaven. Uh, the, the sons and daughters of God, the Elohim that we've spent a lot of time looking at. And he says, listen, you know, yes, worship, worship him. And then, and then, he, then he, he, he takes it and, and expands it. Uh, Bless the Lord, all his work in all places of his dominion. It's so much like Revelation 4 and 5. If you take some time to read it, you'll, you'll see that the reality that the psalmist sees in heaven is the reality that John sees in heaven. And it's the reality that God wants to draw us into. You know, gracious Heavenly Father, I kneel before you now and proclaim that all of heaven worships you that all of your angels who are your ministers to do your word and obey the voice of your word, they are worshiping you. And all of those uh, hosts who minister and do your will, they are worshiping you and they bless you. And so, oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Isn't that a beautiful call to worship? It's amazing. Uh, then Psalm 104, one through three. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. Can you see how Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 go together? And there's the continued theme of blessing the Lord, kneeling down and saying, Lord, you're so great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty and you cover yourself as light as a garment. You stretch out the heavens 
as a tent. You lay the, found, the beams of the chambers of the water. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride on the wings of the wind. And, and, and the, the, the psalmist has gone from looking into heaven and reminding himself of the heavenly worship to just having a heart that expresses and is blessing the Lord. And again, he, he, he's in the context of heavenly worship. He says he makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. And those are words that in, in the Hebrew refer to supernatural beings. Isn't that a beautiful verse to worship with? The next is Psalm 106, 48. Blessed be, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Why do we bless the Lord? Because He is the God who chooses nations. We saw in Deuter- Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, 9, that, that, that He chose Israel to be His inheritance. And that same phraseology goes to the church. You are a chosen people, a royal nation, a people belonging to God. Just as God chose Israel, God chose the church. And, and they are now the same in that, that the, the church is made up of true Israel. And God still has a plan for the nation of Israel that will be carried out. And who knows, maybe in our lifetime, but the point I want you to see is God has chosen you, and we, you need to bless him. You need to say, God, thank you. Thank you for choosing me. It's really amazing. Uh, next, Psalm 113, 1 through 4. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And then here's the word that's different, verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. And again, there's another word there. I think there's two other words used for praise there, and I forget them offhand right now. But in the midst of the words for praise, there's the word blessed, which means you kneel down and you make an effort to say, God, here's the deal. Here's what I want to say about you. Here's what I want to express. Your name needs to be blessed. And we've talked about that before, but it's so significant that many of these verses, uh, and I don't include all of them here, but many of them have to do with blessed be your name. Why? Because God wants us to, to remind ourselves that his name, you got to say good things about it, that he is with you to get it done. And I think that is the most significant. When I realized that, it was life-changing, that God is with me to get it done. It came at a very difficult point in my life when everything was falling apart. And sometimes that's what God has to do to get our attention. And, and all we can do is, is just repent and move on. But listen, bless the Lord because his name is from everlasting to everlasting. And is, there's never going to be a time when God won't be with you to get it done. And then there is um, Psalm 134, verse 1 and 2 and 3. Psalm 134, verse 1 and 2 and 3. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hand to the holy place 
and bless the Lord. May the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. I, I love this. You know, there's such a recognition of sacred space here. And the idea here is that the psalmist here, and I think it's David, um, is, is, is saying, listen, I want you to come with me and I want you to speak, kneel down and, and speak good things about the Lord. Because as his servant, it's what you're, you're supposed to do. Just like all the angels in heaven who serve and minister, uh, we're, we're the same on earth. We're his family on earth. And we want to be like the family in heaven and see we want to uh, bless the Lord. Uh, and, and you stand in the holy place in the house of the Lord and you are the ones who minister. And this is addressed to the priests. There were 24 divisions of priests who served in the temple just as there were 24 elders uh, in heaven and 24 7 they worship before the Lord and I think here is a call for us to worship isn't it and then there's the promise at the end um, bless the Lord and then verse 3 may the Lord maker of heaven and earth bless you from Zion your your sacred space uh, is not uh, a temple uh, uh, per se, a building, but it is wherever it is you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is the temple of the church, so when you, when you walk into wherever you worship, that is now a holy place. And then, of course, there's, there's the tabernacle in heaven, which we are invited into uh, by the blood of Jesus in, in the book of Hebrews. And so that is really a call to, to bless the Lord from your holy space and to the sacred space that you're aware of. And then the final verse that I want to look at in, in blessing the Lord for who he is, is Psalm 134, 19 through 21. And again, it's just so beautiful. And, O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And it, again, it, it's a call to worship, isn't it? It's a call to all the tribes of Israel, and, and we could go into each one of these, uh, the house of Aaron and Levi, those are the priestly houses. And, and, and then there's all who fear the Lord, kneel down and speak good things about his kingdom, about his name, uh, about his attributes. And that's really um, where Paul starts out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we'll end here and, and next time we're going to continue on uh, with this idea. I don't want to leave it yet. Uh, blessing the Lord for who he has done, uh, for what he has done, and then being the person who is blessed. And so those will be the two themes we will cover next time. But just to summarize, uh, you have been blessed in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. And so you have to have that intimate relationship with the Lord. And you, you have to be in the place that he wants you to be in order to receive the blessings that the Father so graciously wants to give you. And here are the three foundational truths that have to be 
uh, built in the temple of your heart. One, you were included in Christ when you were saved. Two, you must abide in him or remain in him in order to make this real. Three, the Holy Spirit will teach you how to make this real. So I pray that you would spend some time in this coming week to simply say to your soul, bless the Lord, O my soul. God bless and keep you.